Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment. Sponsored by Tech Help Boston. As October comes to a close, we're wrapping up our series on breast cancer survivors. We're shining a spotlight on their stories in the hopes that if you hear the words, you have breast cancer, you will learn something from their journey that might help you with yours. Remember our motto, if she can do it, I can do it. And we've been telling our listeners about a Massachusetts-based nonprofit, which is called the Ellie Fund, and it provides essential support services to breast cancer patients just to ease the stresses of their everyday life. Find out more at elliefund.org. Today's story is about a woman whose life has been tragic and traumatic in so many ways ever since her childhood. And yes, it also includes a breast cancer diagnosis. But through it all, she has persevered. Instead of feeling sorry for herself, this exceptional woman has spent her life reaching out, connecting, inspiring, making a difference in everything she does. Her name is Deborah Deroni, and this is her story. Deborah, welcome to the show. Thank you, Candy. Okay, so let's go with Candy O's lightning round. Quick and easy way for listeners to get to know you. Don't overthink your answers. Just say what comes to your mind. You ready? Let's go. What time do you get up in the morning? 7 a.m. And are you a list maker or do you just let your day happen? Oh, I'm a list maker. Worst subject in school growing up? Physics. Cautious or carefree? Mm, cautious. Favorite movie of all time? Love Actually. Your life story has so many twists and turns. Let's start with something that's kind of unbelievable to even have to talk about, and that is your father's murder. You were only 12 years old. He was a victim of what we might now call a workplace shooter. He and four men were handcuffed and shot for a, what appeared to be a, a robbery, although the individual who perpetrated the crime did have a history of working there. But I don't think he knew any of his victims. Sammy White's Brighton Bowl murders is what it was called. And there's actually a Wikipedia page that's devoted to the actual crime and that day in your life. How does a child's life change when her father's murdered and she's 12 years old? You just never have that carefree <laughs> element anymore. You know that bad stuff can happen. I'm 52 years old now, and I still think about it every day. It definitely changes the way you proceed in life. Do you not feel safe after something like that happens? I don't know as that was so much an issue for me. I think we were extremely lucky in that the person was caught within a few days and spent his life in jail. And I think that made a lot of a, a difference for us as a family to not have to worry that he was out there somewhere. So your dad gets killed. You've got your mom. And then who else in your family? I have a stepdad. He and my mom got married when I was in high school, and I have uh, two older brothers. How did you get back a sense of normalcy after something like that? Did it take you a while? I was fortunate in that I was a ballet dancer as a kid. Just threw myself into that and the, the friends that came with that automatically. In fact, I danced my first Nutcracker just a couple months after my dad died. I think that was my, my haven. You kind of threw yourself into that. Mm. 
Despite all of this trauma, you were also an exceptional student, not just a ballerina, but an exceptional student. What was your mindset at school about education and about doing well? I was extremely fortunate that I grew up in Hingham and we had wonderful school systems and there was just an expectation that everyone would go to college or try to go to college and I never thought twice about it really. I was kind of stubborn, frankly, and wanted to do what I wanted to do. And so... And so you did. Yeah. (laughs) You attended Holy Cross, a Jesuit college in Worcester, Massachusetts, where you majored in biology. You later received your MBA years later in finance from Boston College. Your first chapter in an incredibly amazing career was focused on the healthcare field. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey? I actually went to college thinking I wanted to be a scientist and realized within the first couple months of freshman year that I just really did not enjoy the lab part of things. But Holy Cross was a liberal arts school, so I I stuck it out because I loved science. And when I left there, I, I looked for something that would combine my love of science with what I was beginning to realize was sort of a business administration kind of aptitude. I started my career as an administrative assistant in a research lab at Children's Hospital. And my story was a little bit like the character from Working Girl in that my boss was getting her MBA at night and making plans to marry a man and move to Canada. She was kind of checked out. I took on a lot of her responsibilities. And when she left six months later, they put me in charge of the whole laboratory. That was really my first role in healthcare. You went to pediatric surgical services at Mass General Hospital, where you were the project manager for the operating room process. Talk to me a little bit about that job. Yeah, I was the administrative director for pediatric surgery. At the time, the hospital was working on a process improvement program, and sort of I took on this project in addition to my day job overseeing operating rooms operations improvement (laughs) uh, to try to make the throughput better and Uh the patient experience and the doctor's experience better. You were promoted to the lead in the Department of Surgery. What does that mean? Actually, about 17 years, I was the executive director for the Department of Surgery, which was 11 subspecialties within surgery. I managed the physician group practice. We had over 100 surgeons. We had one of the largest basic research programs in a Department of Surgery in the country. We had 23 surgical residency and fellowship programs, and my job was to oversee the people, the the finances, the space, strategic planning, marketing. Did you ever sleep? (laughs) Very little? (laughs) Very little back in those days. I wasn't sleeping until 7 in the morning. I was sleeping until maybe 3.30 in the morning and and driving in and having, you know, you have to catch the surgeons before and after the OR. Sure. early days and, and late days. But. Where did you learn that work ethic from? It's in my family. My dad was a hard worker, my mom a hard worker, my aunts, my brothers. You kind of watched them. Yeah. My dad's dad was an immigrant from Italy, a, a Mason who came here not speaking a word of English back in his teens and just worked hard to make a life for his family. Explain your passion for this work, because I look at your list of accomplishments I see a lot of children and research and operating rooms and laboratories. And what is it to you? How does that inspire you? 
I've come to learn more recently that I am a continuous learner. So I find lots of things fascinating and interesting, always looking to learn how to do something or how things work behind the scenes Mm -hmm. of movie sets and things like that. (laughs) Coming from a Two Jesuit colleges, the idea is being men and women for others, and I wanted to be of service in the world. So that really rang true for you. Yeah, and it just, it felt nice to be able to support the surgeons in order to allow them to support the patients. Every job has a lesson. What did you learn in that part of your career? Just really how to put yourself in someone else's shoes. That's why I was able to be successful with surgeons. They can be some tough characters sometimes, very high expectations, trying to understand what their challenges were, what they were trying to accomplish for their patients and for the profession and training the future surgeons, really just trying to be empathetic and understand others' perspectives. Can you talk a little bit about your breast cancer diagnosis? Breast cancer is about the last thing I ever in a million years thought that I would have. No family history that I knew of, no risk factors. My husband and I were actually on a dream vacation in the Galapagos Islands when I found a lump. I had just had a mammogram a few months earlier, so I thought, well, it's it's probably nothing. And of course, it turned out not to be nothing. But I was very lucky. It was caught early and and it was small and hadn't metastasized. However, because I was relatively young, I had to have surgery and chemo and radiation kind of do the whole thing and continue to take medications. Now I'm in my fifth year, but with another few more years to go. I really never thought of cancer as something that could take my life. I felt lucky about that. I was more annoyed. to be kind of inconvenient. You know, I've only been in this room with you for 15 minutes, but I can totally see that being your mindset. I have other things to do, right? But I have some follow-up questions, which is, here's a woman who has spent her entire career running operating rooms. So when they were wheeling you in, (laughs) were you high maintenance or what? (laughs) Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted TechHelpBoston.com since the year 2000. Dave Elmazian, president of TechHelpBoston, with the reasons why. We like to establish a relationship with our customers, and the best way to do that is see them in their natural setting, so to speak, and that's in their home. We come to you, we work with you on your equipment in a setting that's comfortable for you, and also we can test better that way, because if you have a printing problem or whatever, and we bring it to a shop, it may work great in the shop, but it might not work in your home. So this way we know for sure everything is working the way that it should. TechHelpBoston.com. Their experts will come to your home or office to fix your computer same day, next day, and weekends too. Visit TechHelpBoston.com. That's TechHelpBoston.com. I don't really remember this because I was already starting to be anesthetized, but apparently the anesthesiologist said something to the effect of, okay, now let's get you back to work. <laughs> oh, sure. So what was your treatment plan and how long did it last and how are you today? I had a lumpectomy, very talented surgeon, did a wonderful job. I was lucky there. 12 weeks of chemo, and then you take a little break, and then six weeks of radiation. It'll be 10 years total of post-treatment medication. Again, because I was lucky, I had a a hormone-positive tumor, which is the best kind to have. So I'm able to take medication that suppresses it. And how are you feeling? 
I feel great. My cancer journey was as good as a cancer journey can be. I did have quite a bit of a struggle for a while with chemo brain after my treatment. That really changed my whole life in a way that cancer didn't or maybe should have, but didn't. Let's talk a little bit about that, chemo brain. It, you know, that's a word that we're starting to hear these days. But years ago, it didn't even have a definition. It was just this kind of way that people felt after they'd experienced chemotherapy. What happened to you? I started a new job in a new company a month after finishing my treatment. This company had come calling right before I started chemo. There were people I had met years before, and they said, hey, we're looking for a regional vice president in the New England area. Do you know anybody? And I said, well, I'd love to throw my hat in the ring, but I'm going to be tied up for a bit. And they said, well, we're, we're willing to wait for the right person. And to me, that said a lot because Mass General is a very special place and it's not an easy place to leave. And I thought there's a reason that they're coming now and, and this company has good values. There's a reason they're willing to wait. I started with them about a month after I finished treatment and they offered me a job when I looked like a troll. And so I thought this is a special company. And about five months into the job, I was having to drive all over the place trying to save these surgery centers from closure, learning all kinds of new stuff. It's a national company. You know, you're learning everything by phone calls and conference calls, and I'm driving all over the place. My short-term memory was gone. I couldn't multitask. I would stand up to give presentations. The words wouldn't come or I'd stumble over my words. I started getting very anxious and depressed, and I was just completely exhausted. When I would talk about this with my friends and family, they'd sort of dismiss it. Oh, you're fine. Or, you know, some of my girlfriends would say, oh, that's just menopause. And, you know, that didn't make me feel better. I knew that something was really wrong. Having access to the folks at Mass General, I was able to get all kinds of testing. And they said it was sort of classic presentation for a small portion of people don't experience chemo brain while they're going through chemo, although many do. But then there's this pause of a few months and then it kicks in later. I just tried very hard to fight it. I was so fortunate that my company gave all of their executives coaches. And when I started working with this coach for the first few months, true to form, I was buckling down, trying to work harder to overcome these cognitive deficits eventually just realized that I had to raise the white flag, that I just couldn't do it anymore. But isn't it interesting that the next chapter in your life turned into a very rewarding career as an executive coach? Yes. Do you believe that there are signposts in the road and sometimes things happen for a reason? Oh, absolutely. I didn't set out to become a coach in working with this coach, what really turned the corner for me was she said to me, how is all this serving you now? And I said, it isn't, it's gonna kill me. And just saying it out loud made me realize that I had to do something different. So you went and got your professional coaching certification mm -hmm. at the Gestalt International Study Center. It's on the Cape, right? It is in Wellfleet. Mm -hmm. What was that like for you? Were you excited to go back to school or were you worried that you wouldn't be able to retain the knowledge? 
she and I went through this whole process of identifying my values and my strengths and what I liked most in life. And at some point she said to me, you know, I'm hearing a lot of themes here about leading teams and developing talent. Have you ever thought about being a coach? And I said, no, I had never heard of coaches till I met you. I started to do research about what that would look like. Many coaches don't get trained specifically. For me, that felt important. All of a sudden, I realized that I am a continuous learner, and I had basically put that on the back burner for almost 30 years. And it's a different way of being in the world than the hamster wheel sure. life that I had been leading. So you are now the exclusive executive coach for the Boston College Woods College of Advancing Studies Master of Healthcare Administration program. That is probably the longest <laughs> title I've ever heard. You also serve on a panel of coaches for the Massachusetts Medical Society Physician Health Service. Does this bring you joy? Do you feel like you're in the right place? I wake up every morning and pinch myself. I feel like I fell into a dream, in fact. Just have the opportunity to meet such incredible people with big hearts and support them in being their best selves. And what could possibly be more fun than that? This feels very much like a first you learn, then you teach evolution for you. You're smiling. Am I right? Yeah. I had always, since I was a little kid, three dreams. One was that I wanted to do research. The second was that I wanted to have my own business. And then the third was I wanted to write a book. And in fact, when I was really young, I tried to write my own language. I took the dictionary and <laughs> made a new word for every word. I think I got to like the D's before I finally gave up and realized I wasn't going to be able to speak it with anyone. This life-altering event of chemo brain has kind of set me on the pathway to all three of those because now I have my own company. In addition, Boston College is one of my clients. I've run my own coaching practice. I've gone back to school to get a doctor of psychology and leadership psychology so that I can learn how to do research. From all those days back when I realized I didn't like labs, I wish somebody had suggested social sciences research to me then. And I'm hoping to use my thesis as a, the beginnings of a book. So you've really come full circle, haven't you? Mm -hmm. And there's another dimension to this incredible life of yours. You are also a volunteer coach and consultant for Empower Success Corps New England, a nonprofit consulting firm. It's dedicated to enhancing the impact of nonprofit organizations by providing high quality, affordable consulting services. What has that meant to you? Oh, it's been wonderful. Again, all those years, I didn't have the time to volunteer. These tend to be small nonprofits that don't have big bottom lines. And the way ESC works is that they provide consulting and coaching services at a deep discount for nonprofits because all of their coaches and consultants are volunteers. You're supporting people who are doing the Lord's work, trying to do some incredible things in these small organizations with very little resources. And I've had the pleasure to coach a few people and do some strategic planning for other organizations. And it, you really feel like you can have an impact in that kind of a setting. You've also done some work on the board of Dove Incorporated, Massachusetts, the United Way of Massachusetts Bay, Holy Family Surgery Center, and Nuestros Pequeños Hermanos. Mm -hmm. That's Great. an orphanage. What do you do there for them? The surgery center is on the site of the orphanage. And my husband and I did a medical mission trip there, worked in the ORs. 
you have the opportunity to spend time with the children in this orphanage, and, and their model is that they don't actually adopt them. The other children become their family. They have tias and tios who help raise them. And then people like us who come and volunteer and help out and provide sponsorship to the kids. That must be wonderful. It was incredible. What motivates you? I would like to leave some kind of a legacy, some kind of an impact in the world. What I really hope to do now is to help healthcare professionals Clinical burnout and chemo brain look a lot alike. Now I'm not sure which that I really had. And I feel like burnout is an unintended consequence of the craziness of our healthcare system. As challenging as healthcare is for patients, it's taking its toll on the providers. I really hope to help change our healthcare system by supporting its leaders and its clinicians to take care of themselves so they can continue to do the amazing things they do every day. You were nominated by a friend of yours who wrote me a very sweet letter saying, Deb's life is an inspiration to survivors of violence and to disease. And her name is Cindy. And so thank you, Cindy, for sending Deborah to me. How did that make you feel when you found out she'd nominated you to be on the program? Oh, I was incredibly touched and humbled. I mean, her, her letter was so sweet. She and I have been friends for ooh, probably about 20 years now. We've traveled all over the world together. And since I got married and moved to Rhode Island, we don't see each other as much. And so when I saw her nomination, it was just, just so touched. At the end of the day, what matters the most to you? That I make a difference for somebody, even if it's just one person. You talked a little bit about your work ethic earlier, and I am blown away by what you've done with your life so far. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received, whether that's in your personal or your professional life? And can you pass that along to someone today? You're never too old and it's never too late. Looking back through the rearview mirror on a career that continues to unfold, and good luck with your book someday. What are you most proud of? The people that I helped in developing their careers. When I left Mass General, I left my baby, essentially, that I had <laughs> been with for almost 20 years, and I had no qualms about it because the team I had developed there were just fantastic, and, and they've done great things. So it makes you feel good to see someone succeed. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And what does success mean to you? Success to me is just having the opportunity to do what you love and whether that's personally, professionally, not letting anything get in your way. I want to say thank you so much for being our guest this week on the story behind her success. Deborah Deroni, what a life. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to The Story Behind Her Success with Candy O'Terry. This is a series with one goal in mind, to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about her. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?